Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow post-week 12, pre-week 13. And I'd love to say that we're settling into a clearer picture at this point in the season, but I'm not totally sure that's true. It's definitely more true on the NFC side, where Arizona and Green Bay and Tampa appear to be pulling away from the pack a little bit as the Rams and Cowboys work through some stuff. I assume that the Cowboys will look very different this week with CeeDee Lamb back. Still don't know if they'll have Amari Cooper. Apparently he's dealing with some COVID symptoms still. Mike McCarthy now has COVID, so he'll be out. And frankly, they've got a lot of people on that list, so maybe not this week. (laughs) But uh, point being, I'm not really worried about them still. We've seen enough to know that they have the roster to be competitive. They're going to be in the mix come playoff time. I am a little bit more concerned about the Rams because they had all sorts of trouble against the Packers. But I do think it's worth pointing out in that game, they still put up 28 points, which is more than 18 NFL teams did this week. They also had 353 net yards and more yards per play than Green Bay did against them. So they're not broken on offense. And I know a lot of people were talking about that being the case afterward, but they are misfiring. They were four for 13 on third down. Obviously, those three turnovers. But you get my point. It's not a complete and total disaster, even though it does kind of feel like it. As for the other NFC teams that would be in the playoffs if they started today, we've got the San Francisco 49ers at six and five and the Washington football team with a losing record. They're five and six. So obviously, that conference is a little bit more top heavy than the AFC is. That conference is just one big bunch. In fact, only four teams in the AFC are sub 500 right now. Four! The Dolphins, the Jets, Houston, Jacksonville, everyone else is 500 or better, including, of course, the Patriots, who started the season at two and four and are now the two seed in the AFC, riding a six-game win streak that suddenly fairly surprisingly, has them in the Super Bowl conversation. In fact, Football Outsiders, a website that focuses on advanced statistical analysis, now has New England as their Super Bowl favorite. In fact, and this is kind of fun, they've run a bunch of simulations, and in 15% of their simulations, Tampa Bay and New England end up in the Super Bowl together. I would guess that those simulations probably have the Patriots winning this week against the Bills because the odds of them earning the one seed tilt heavily in their favor if they do. Football Outsiders has them with a 61% chance of being the AFC's one seed if they win on Monday, with the Ravens behind them at 18%. 538 has their chances a little bit lower at 42%, still the favorite though, with the Ravens at 23%. Let's see what the numbers look like if they lose on Monday, if the Bills win that game. Okay, now we're looking at the Ravens with the best shot at the one seed, according to Football Outsiders, 28%, followed by the Bills at 20 and the Patriots at 16. 538, they've got the Ravens, Titans, Bills, kind of a three-way race. They're all close to a 20% chance. So big game coming up. Worth noting, too, these two teams, New England and Buffalo, one and two in point differential this year by a lot. I mean, a lot, you guys. New England has outscored opponents by 146 points, and the Bills 
have outscored theirs by 144. Next closest is Arizona at 108. Closest in the AFC is Cincinnati at 83. So it's not even close. And I think that is crazy considering the things that we thought about this New England offense earlier this year. And I realize the defense plays a big role in that kind of stat also, but you have to score points in order to have that big a point differential. And they've been doing that with a rookie quarterback who is third in the NFL in completion percentage, seventh in completions, and 10th in passing yards. You guys, the Patriots have scored points on 50% of their drives this year. That's nuts. And their defense, with J.C. Jackson balling out in their secondary, he has as many picks as catches allowed in the last four games with a 0.0 passer rating against. They've got the number one defensive EPA that's expected points added since week six. They are number one in weighted DVOA. That's defensive adjusted value over average. I'm just vomiting stats at you now, and I will stop. I'm just surprised. As I look at all of these stats, every time I go to do research about the Patriots, I find more things that I'm surprised to see. I can't believe this is where we are. And I'm eager to talk to one of my guests today about that. Matt Chatham, three-time Super Bowl champion linebacker with the Patriots, who now covers them for Nesson and The Athletic. We're also going to talk to Brian Batko, who covers a team experiencing a very different kind of conversation this week. The Steelers, who looked awful against the Bengals on Sunday, swept by Cincinnati for the first time since 2009. And while I'm sure that that alone is bad enough for Steelers fans, making a bad situation far worse, they weren't even in that game. 41-10, to the final score. The Bengals had their backups in at the end. We saw Brandon Allen on the field. And now we're hearing words like embarrassed and put up or shut up, and it's all very un-Steelers-like. And I'm so curious to hear what Brian, who covers that team for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, has to say. But we're going to start with the good, and then we'll get to the bad. So Matt Chatham's up first. Let's break the huddle. Hurry up, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Hey. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for doing this. And I'm I'm eager to get some answers from you as somebody who pays very close attention to the Patriots can hopefully put this team into perspective for me, because I think this week in particular, a lot of people nationally are turning to New England and saying like, huh, maybe this is a team we should start paying attention to. But they also that maybe feels like it's kind of bold and underlined and italicized because I don't know that a lot of people are sure that this is real. Is this real, what we're seeing from them in this six-game win streak? Yeah, I think that the realness that you can get here by virtue of a, a strong performance and a win might actually be separation between themselves and that sort of group of four or five in the AFC. I would say a loss, they're still real. It's just they have this sort of conglomerate right now. I mean, if you look at the Bills and the Chiefs and sort of uh, – I don't know. It depends on how far you want to stretch that back, but I kind of feel like there's sort of a group of five or six on that side of the docket that are really playing comparable ball, throw Baltimore in there as well. Any given Sunday, really, I think until this thing resolves itself, any one of them could beat the other. Um, But what I think you will learn here is whether or not New England 
you know, with the young quarterback thing, because I think that's kind of the, the, the this is the, what makes them unique from the rest of the field in that situation. I think we all have for years sort of spent time presuming that you get to this point, you get yourself into that little mini tournament. And if you're the one rolling with a rookie, God bless. <laughs> but, but if at they least can this overcome, rookie doesn't have to face Bill Belichick. Well, fair enough. Fair, exactly. That's that's a, that's one of those stat uh, uh, graves he can avoid. But I guess because of that factor, it makes them the unique entrant in that little mini tournament. So um, I think he's done a really nice job. And honestly, the team has been unusually better on the road than at home. I know recently they've sort of corrected that ship a little bit. But for a young guy to be able to travel and do what he's done is pretty impressive, albeit we're starting to talk about this a little more here locally. He's a, he's a, he's a Florida kid playing in Alabama for most of his life. And we had a quasi cold weather game <laughs> last weekend in Foxborough. What's, qua- what's quasi cold for Foxborough? We're in thirties. We're in the thirties. So you actually had in gloves weather, but not, not, not the next level stuff. So, um, and that's coming. It won't be dramatically. So, at, you know, Buffalo this week, still here at the, right at the beginning of December, but it, that will be a factor for this kid because he hasn't gone through it. But, I think by and large, if you're out there presuming that an outcome one way or the other this week will determine if the Pats are for real, I don't think that's it. I think they're in it and they're in sort of a tier, at least at this point with the rest of that group. I mean, frankly, any I feel like we're at a point in the AFC where you can't write off anybody because of one game. Like everyone in the AFC has had at least one major hiccup. And I think that's part of the reason that people are turning to the Patriots now. How how much do you think their legitimacy or the way that they're viewed as a more legitimate team has to do with the lack of a dominant team in the AFC kind of opening up a path for them at this point. It's part of it. Uh, you know, if Kansas city had been more to form then I think uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I think even in the event of the Patriots themselves going out to LA and knocking off the chargers in a three pointer, look at where the feeling on that team would be if they just sort of swap, swap uh, wins in that, in that situation. So a lot of this is very detail-oriented. I think there's several situations there where if Buffalo doesn't go down and just land egg in Jacksonville, like, good Lord, what was that? <laughs> you know, we're talking about one of the hottest offenses or at least most loaded offenses, I think, presumably in, in either either conference, and they go down and put up six, you know, in, in Jacksonville. Good Lord. So, I mean, there's some of these things are such wild outliers that you kind of, you know, as I guess we're kind of talking about, you presume everyone's best is comparable, and it's just who's going to give the egg on the day. Um, if the Chiefs were at par, which they haven't been, uh, I don't think that's what the field looks like. But they've been mediocre. I think it was an oddball thing. I tweeted this out a little bit earlier. I was trying to look at points per game, and I know there's a defensive component to that as well. But the notion that the Patriots currently are a higher points per game offense, well, team, excuse me, <laughs> than the Packers, than, you know, than the Chiefs, and then all these groups, Seattle, and all the groups you would presume to be above them, LA with all the spending and all that stuff, it just, it just makes so very little sense. So, that's why we all have to push back, sit back, and let this thing play out. It's funny, especially the way the season started. Because so even going into last week's game against the Titans, I was like, I think I would, if I were a betting person, take the under here. Like that was the one game outside of Thursday and Bears Lions where I was like, I don't know. Even though the the point total is low, I the Titans offense is a disaster right now. I don't think that they're going to score much of anything, but I just didn't think that the Patriots offense, I thought that they were like an efficient surgical offense. That's going to take time on drives, but they're not a quick strike. I I wasn't sure that they were going to be this team this year that was going to put up a ton of points, although they had already, but I thought that that might be the anomaly. 
And now I'm starting to think maybe this offense is just changing as the season goes on, because early in the year, it was very low volume passing. You know, you had some stat lines for Mac Jones that looked like they were purposefully keeping the ball out of his hands. And now that has slowly changed. Yeah, the oddball thing, uh, too, is that their their point production or sort of the wild spikes haven't necessarily paralleled pass production. So they've kind of been a team in the games where they've been more forthright on the other side of it where they generate a lot of offense through play action. So they're kind of an oddball group in that they kind of zig where others zag. And it's not as if, you know, you're not going to find, you're going to find some of the more poor performances where where Mac was forced into situations where he had to go into gun. There was more of a a pistol opportunity or spread because it was the prerogative of the day because they couldn't run the football. Things have changed for them dramatically. So, and I think that's why sort of the breadth of the season matters so much because you kind of have to look at it in pockets. Who was playing, who was available Shoot, you could do that for Tennessee a week ago. I, I'm not one to judge what I saw that week because I know there's four or five guys who would be there six weeks from now who weren't then. And the Patriots is that same way. I mean, you're looking at Trent Brown, who was just at right tackle, an absolute difference maker. Through some of those warts and bumps and issues you have with the Patriots early in the season, they were resolving tackle situations, swinging guys, guards to tackle, tackles to guards, guys flopping all over the place. And with offensive line chaos, that to me always takes precedent over any talk about the quarterback or the wide receivers or backs or whatever's going on. The teams that have continuity there, the steadiness there, those are the teams have done really well. And, and I think they're back to that, which is what makes them the air quote real team right now. You throw a, a mini bomb in that room and things change. And I think we can look around the the AFC and C teams that have had that particular issue. But I think that's the thing that makes them real. They've got an extra guy in Michael Winu right now who's, if you follow the PFF grades, some do, some don't. But in the event that you put stock in that, this is a guy who's a six lineman right now who, if it's slotted in as a starter, is one of the highest grading offensive linemen in the league. So they have, they, have, they have a little bit of a surplus there. And they can use him as a big tight end, which I saw years ago with uh, Jason Peters when Jason Peters was a tight end for the Buffalo Bills. I think people forget that about him. <laughs> Now is a you know a future Hall of Famer from the Eagles and all that, but it's a weird little combination keeping Trent healthy and possibly having that it's something they've used very little of here you know down the stretch. You mentioned the tight ends; they spent a lot of money on the tight end position in the off season, and then I don't know that Janu has been used in the way that people expected him to be used based on the type of contract that he got in the off season. Um, what would you say about the way that they've used him and whether or not they've been happy? Are they getting what they wanted to get out of him? Are they paying him for different things than maybe we expected, i.e. catches, yards? Yeah, so the, the, the thing that Coach Belichick touched on early in the year was he's used the phrase, and then Josh McDaniels has echoed it recently, they, they said foundational year which it's almost, it sounds a little excusey, I guess, but it's the notion that this is sort of your integration year. It's our sort of testing sort of uh, opportunity to figure out how to use you, when to use you, what works, what doesn't. Jonu had a lot of the scripted in, you know, sort of in the script kind of early plays where it was a handoff or a jet motion sweep kind of thing or some sort of purposeful incorporation of him into the game, not just a look and early read for a play. And they didn't, get a lot of production out of those early. And you saw him sort of go away from that. He was banged up with an injury uh, for a short time. Um, so, you know, you got a guy that's trying to find his way. The first swing isn't exactly what it's going to be. They went back to some of the jet motion stuff that did work a week ago. But it's, I think with both those guys, and, and we, you know, this is sort of a big, big local market debating thing, but the notion that Nelson Aguilar gets some new money, you bring in Kendrick Bourne with some new money, you get both those tight ends with new money. 
you have Jacoby Myers in house, who's this sort of ascended young, sort of un, uh, unheralded player. And then you've got all this investment in the back group as well. You write it down. And if you try to come up with a, a number that you would be comfortable with for what you paid, you know, now you've got Mac Jones at a 7,000 yard <laughs> season at quarterback. I mean, because how could you possibly make good to make each contract make sense, right? So everyone's going to be a little bit underserved. That doesn't mean they're not very pleased with what they got, I think, in general. I think, though, that that could be a short-sighted approach to it because as long as there are people there to do their job, because um, I know how big that is in New England, uh, just specifically, like, not necessarily do the flashy plays, but be consistently where they're supposed to be for Mac Jones to make the easy reads, get the ball to the right place, block, perhaps, stuff like that. If the team is winning and everyone... I don't know that you need anyone to just go absolutely crazy, right? Like, and I feel like that is, that's consistent with the way that New England has built their teams in the past. Right. And I think one of the things, Lindsay, we've seen here is it's, you haven't, and I think you can see this from other places. The Bills being coming up this week is a decent example where you might have a week where Diggs is a 12 target guy. You know, you might have him where he really eats. He goes and gets eight and nine on 10 or 11 targets, something like that. And it's like, hey, it was Diggs day, right? And then there's other moments where, there's other moments where Beasley hits that way or or, or some or, or Knox has a huge target. Day. I think even Dawson Knox has had higher target days than either Henry or Jonu have had. Jonu have had their productivity and Hunter even more so with touchdowns, red zone targets. But I don't believe I'd have to go back and check the check the game logs. But I don't believe that Hunter has had anything over maybe a six target day. It's he's not really spiked in that way. Right. Because in the fantasy football world, he's still kind of an also ran. and. And that would be different if he was getting targeted a lot. He's a point guy. He's a, he'll, he'll get his points from a score. And he had a, a string of whatever it was, five scores in six weeks or something like that. Uh, so it was a good DF, DFS play that way because it was lower valued. Uh, but I, the thing that always drove me nuts about that is that you really get to a point where we're not going week to week and saying, okay, this is Henry week. This is uh, Myers week. This is whatever. You really have sort of mild across the board with six to seven potentials. So that makes it rough, especially in TFS, but then also just for the whole, is the contract worth it kind of conversation. It's just, this is that place. There's going to be distribution and there's probably not going to be one ball hog in a week. And yet, weirdly, uh, Kendrick Bourne has more fantasy points this year than Dalvin freaking Cook. It's wild, right? <laughs> what? And by the way, I have Kendrick Bourne on on a, a team where my roster is really gross, a dynasty team that's just awful. And I have started plugging him in more consistently. But like earlier in the season, even on a very bad roster, I was like, I don't know if I want to play Kendrick Bourne. Like it kind of hits sometimes, kind of it doesn't. And then you turn around at this point in the season and I see a stat like that. And I'm like, I have him on my team. And I didn't even pick up on that. <laughs> right. Right. And, and again, this is this is the common sort of refrain. If you're following New England's market or using them heavy in DFS or even in your in your seasonals, they're so difficult week to week. Right. You can you can press a guy, leave him alone. James White was always a great example. James will go for eight and one twenty one week and then it's three for 13 the next. And you're like, what the hell do I do with this? Right. So uh, Kenrick is a little that way. And I think his 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 usage of the role you know, from snap count and also targets is is rising. I believe I'd have to spreadsheet and look at that. But I think generally speaking, he's more involved. Right. He seems to be a guy who's who's uh, 
not so much sort of net on the game, but situationally targeted, sort of got to have it kind of stuff where it's like, hey, it's a third and seven and we're going to look for more rather than say a drive started. So that's good. I mean, that's sort of, that tends to say that, hey, this is a guy that they trust. This is a guy that they want to get the ball in his hands more. But a lot of his explosive plays haven't been vertical targets. They've been the underneath stuff and catch and run. So he's been a really good yak guy for them. Energy, you know, sort of burst play in game. Um, I had one myself earlier this year where I won't, I won't uh, disclose the company, but uh, I was in a DFS play in one of the, the Sunday Million games, and I had risen to number three midway through the fourth quarter. Yeah, uh, and I was one eighteen point play going with Brandon Bolden as a point as opposed to Ramondre Stevenson, uh, and those eighteen points were worth seventy grand. <laughs> and I'm a local, right? So I'm supposed to know which of the two. I rode, I rode Brandon because Brandon had a huge week prior. Ramondre's coming back from the concussion. So, good Lord, of course, he's not going to get targets. He gets he gets six carries on the opening draft. So, that's, that's it's sort of a mini capsule. That was just a couple weeks that, ago. That was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, we're entering the fourth quarter, and I'm sitting at a three, just loving life. And it ends up, you know, way down thing. And the one play would have swung it. It was crazy. But that's really what life is like here in New England. You know, week to week, the receivers, the backs, the tight ends, who's getting it, who knows. That's a perfect example, because I remember that week and thinking, well, Ramondre has been inactive for games this year. So and coach's decision inactive. Right. And he's coming off a concussion and he hasn't practiced all week and he's a rookie and it's Bill Belichick. Like this is not a Ramondre Stevens week. And then, boom, plug him in. It's all Ramondre. What? Nothing makes sense in the world. What does that backfield look like now? Like, is there anything that we do know at this point in the season? You know, I wanted to tell you, I would love to tell you, roll it back a couple of weeks, right? That, that you know, you can, you can count on more inside tens or low red carries for Damian Harris. I used to believe that. I think there was something that generally followed that. But Ramondre will occasionally get him. And now, you know, now even Brandon will get him from time to time. So there's no pattern. I mean, and there's enough, there's enough self-scout there where they probably go out of their way to, to zig when, when the, when the sort of most recent stat would say uh, zag. So I don't know. It's just, that's what, it, that's what sucks about this. I, I think that Harris is going to get his carries. I, it's just a little bit indeterminate of where they're going to come. And uh, because they love backfield mismatches as you enter the low red, that doesn't always mean the guy that doesn't necessarily catch out of the backfield. So it keeps, you know, people that do fantasy on their toes and it keeps people on that play defense on their toes as well. It's it really is. It's one of those things that makes them such a bad fantasy team, but it is the reason they are such a good real life football team in many ways, because they will change everything, throw it out the window. It's so game specific. I don't think there's a team in the NFL like the Patriots in that department. Do they have an identity? At this point, what would you say that it is? I think they have uh, the the most virtuous version of themselves, but that we don't always see would be one that can build the bigger uh, configurations with 22 or 23 personnel. So the two tight ends and two back stuff and potentially the three tight end thing. I mentioned the Mike Oweno stuff. We saw a glimpse of it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it hasn't really surfaced much the last two with the last five that they have. I think there's going to be moments for that. But I would presume I, I, I well, I guess I feel strongly that they're at their best when they build great surfaces and then just commit to that one surface that's built. that's as big and as bad with the Winu and Shaq Mason and and, and uh, uh, like a name, Trip Brown as the other spot. And you've just got sort of a, a mini mountain range there 
behind which to run, but also something that's a nice lure for play action. You build the surface, you suck people into it, you can go to work elsewhere. And I think that's, if if they're committing to that, it's pretty indefensible. It's very difficult, especially if you use that as a red zone package. I showed a, a clip on a, a video I did on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. And imagine being the Mike linebacker standing over that. And you have a strong piece of information that tells you first steps got to be that. I've got to get momentum into that or I'm screwed. But then there's a play action element over here. If I take that misstep, I'll never get back to it. And that's kind of the beauty of what they've got going on. And this is silly. And I know some somewhat outside the, the scope of normal uh, football media talk, but the receivers block really well. You know, like Nikhil Harry is this like pseudo tight end, you know, just has been killing guys. You don't get stats for that. But his location in sort of correspondence with those surfaces would also tell you, oh, gosh, something going on over here. And it's just enough to make you lean to set up a misdirection to, you know, hit a tunnel screen or something to a receiver on the other side. So it's a lot of misinformation, which is, you know, if you're Josh McDaniel, that's that's you're doing that intentionally. So you obviously look at a lot of this from a defensive perspective, looking at the Patriots defense. Um, how would you evaluate how good they are? Because, I mean, there have been some stats that just like pop off, right? Like the turnovers last week, four turnovers. Um, uh, against the Titans for forced turnovers, I should say. And then they went like 20 something drives without allowing a point, but you can run on them. And the Titans, a team with running backs at this stage in the season that I would venture to say most people in America could not name, uh, ran pretty successfully on them. Where is the defense? So I, I would, the, the best way I would sort of characterize them is you cannot run on them if they put the correct box commitment if they put the people there to stop them, but they don't always do that. And there's sort of a, with them, it's, it's very game scripty and it's very, we're taking something else away. That's not, what we're going to commit to. You'll remember the Hilliard run, the big 68 yarder uh, against the Titans. There was one defensive lineman on the field. <laughs> it was, it was Dave on Gad. It was Dave on Gadshaw at nose. What? So, so snap of the ball. Uh, he gets a little tap on his side from, uh, from Dante Hightower. And he was stunting as if it were pass play. They're a gun. It's a, you know, a, a far back. So it's going to be some sort of draw play. Uh, but there, it was a pass time. It was, hey, go get the quarterback. And the one big they have on the field, the guy that's anywhere near 300 pounds, is slanting away from where that run unbearably goes. Then you got a bunch of linebackers and defensive backs back off the ball. And you have a 68-yard run. So that doesn't mean that's okay. I mean, if you're going to make choices to put sub-defenses on the field, they need to be able to stop people. But what I would say about them is in the moments, uh, Cleveland's a good example. Even though they didn't have Chubb on that day, that offensive line is stellar. Uh, they still have had productivity with the other backs. Um, and when they decide we're playing that front first, you know, we're putting our bigs on your bigs. Their bigs on your bigs is, is when they're, they're as good as any. Their issues have become when they say, hey, you know, we're, we're not going to go eight boxes. We're not going to concede that. We're going to play seven, maybe even six and have the safety be the late seven. Those are the situations where they give them up. And it's not as if they're okay with giving them up, but it is a concession. It's we're going to play coverage. We're going to play top down. We have something else we need to take away that's a, it's more important to us than that. So they've always kind of been that way. It's not we line up, we line up, we line up the same way. And some days we're better, some days we're worse. Usually the yards they give came from a decision. So it's not always the right decision. <laughs> so that's kind of understanding them going forward is making better decisions and not getting that spot. But in that particular Tennessee game, I think they also gave up 82 yards passing. So although you have that ugly 270 on the ground number, net-net, they're okay. And the points are at 13, so they're probably okay with it. Yeah, 36 to 13 win. I think, you know, we'll we'll take that. Give up a few yards on the ground. That's fine. Now we're splitting hairs. Um, how do they feel about Mac Jones's performance there and his development this season? 
It's been shocking. I'll tell you, it's been funny sitting where I sit, watching people talk about the mistakes that other teams made by passing on him. I was like, do you remember anything from draft time? All these same people that are calling out all these other teams for picking different quarterbacks were literally freaking out when they thought that San Francisco was going to take Mac Jones. So like, let's all take a step back. I don't even know. And do you know, was he the guy they wanted or is he the guy that landed where they were picking? Now, everything we've heard internal, internally is that they love that he would be there without having to move to get him, and he was our guy. But also, saying that he's your guy, but also understanding that it's not going to take – there's no cost here to go get him. He'll, he'll be there. You're lucky. You're fortunate in a year that there's five, right? So say Trey Lance is a kid from an FCS school that's not coming out this season. Say, you know, Wilson doesn't have the year he has, and you're looking at more of a two to three with a fourth possible prospect quarterback class. If Max in that two to three number, you're going to get it wasn't that year. You know, you have a big 10 kid from Ohio State that's, you know, that's that's up there. So there's going to be enough that's so curly where he's going to fall to you without moving. And I think that was a guy they felt strongly about, not just that they liked him, but of where he would be and what it would cost to get him. So I think, you know, sort of confluence of events. So I'm pretty happy with how it worked out. What needs to happen this week for the Patriots to get a win against the Bills? What's the key to that particular matchup? Well, as we talked a lot about the whole, uh, you know, run choice thing, and, and the more I've gotten to study the Bills a little bit here, and again, I think my, maybe my opinion evolves a little bit on this as we go into the week, but they're, they're not dead in the water if they don't run the football, but they're certainly a lot better if they get a little out of Singletary, they get a little out of Bria, they get a little bit out of Zach Moss if he's active. They're, they're so much even it, Never mind. We don't know yeah. if he's active or not. <laughs> we, yeah. We but it's, it just, I feel like the games where it's like, hey, Josh, Here's, you know, 47 attempts for you. I, I, that would be a great piece of advanced now, you know, information. If I knew he had 47 attempts, I would actually feel pretty good about how the Pats ended up doing. You know, just a, that anecdotal thing. I think that's, if he's down to 32, ooh, they, they got 22 touches on the ground. Um, then they must have had a modicum of success there. So that kept them, it's not about perfect mathematical balance. It's about a semblance of balance and some productivity and conversions that aren't just passes down, down, down. Because then you take away that element of the Pats, you know, getting the turnovers that they want. So um, I would say it's 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 pretty big deal uh, that there not be some sort of, you know, hole in the dam kind of situation in the run game. That that you you by and large shut that down and force them into a gun every down kind of thing. And then pocket control. That's the that's always the second thing with Josh. Don't let him start running all over the field because he's dangerous that way. A fun, very important game to look forward to on Monday night. The schedule makers got that one right in prime time. Matt, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Next up, what is next for the Steelers? We've got Brian Batko joining us from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Hey everyone, it's Howard Bender from the Andy Up Podcast. Every weekday, Adam Ronis and I serve you up the picks, plays, and fantasy information needed to win your bets. You know, this isn't just your average sports betting show, though, for one very good reason. We won't tell you what to do unless we've already done it ourselves. That's right. We put our money where our mouths are, so we're just as invested in each bet as you are. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or listen on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. So, Brian, I'm curious about what has been like there in Pittsburgh this week after that game on Sunday. Uh, the sky is falling. You know, it's 
it's crazy. I mean, people, they have such short memories, Lindsay, like forget the Steelers were on an 0 three, uh, a three game losing streak earlier this year. Granted that was against some better teams and you know, there was a lot more time left in the season at that point. But um, you know, that, that was a brutal loss on Sunday in Cincinnati. Don't get me wrong. Match the worst, uh, most lopsided loss of Mike Tomlin's tenure here in Pittsburgh. Um, and, and it just seems like things are different this time. There's not as much optimism from the fan base uh, that this roster is, is going to be able to turn it around. But uh, as Mike Tomlin said today, uh, Tuesday at his press conference, I guess we'll see if we have what it takes to respond. Tomlin. Gotta love Tomlin. Uh, where where do you feel like the biggest deficiency is with the roster? I think right now it's, well, it's it's hard to say it's defensively because the offense has had really one potent high-scoring game all season. And yet that game in Cincinnati just got away from them so early because they couldn't stop the run. I mean, Joe Mixon was uh, over 100 yards by halftime, which not all that common in the NFL anymore with how often teams want to throw. It's basically like uncharted waters for a Steelers defense that prides itself on stopping the run first and, you know, bend but don't break maybe. But uh, th- that was just so uncharacteristic for them. And it, it forced, let's face it, a, a pretty – uh, a pretty bad offense to, to try to play from behind against Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon and uh, that growing Cincinnati defense. And they, they just, they didn't have it. So I guess that's kind of uh, my answer is, you know, the offense has been struggling for many weeks now. Uh, they had a, there was a little blip, an uptick against the chargers in LA on Sunday night football. Yeah. Uh, didn't necessarily think they would be able to sustain that. Uh, and the fact that it was actually the defense that, that let them down in this latest loss to an AFC North rival, uh, that that was really what what was surprising around here. What is it? Is it Ben on offense? I think that's the biggest factor. I mean, he he was playing better for a few weeks. Uh, you know, when they righted the ship a little bit, then he misses the Lions game, and Mason Rudolph is in there for that tie. Uh, and the offense didn't look any better with him. So it it take takes me take takes me back to earlier in the year uh, where people were calling for Ben's head. They wanted him benched for Rudolph because it couldn't get any worse. Right. Uh, it wasn't good that time either, but I do still think the quarterback is, you know, the biggest issue, the biggest challenge for this offense right now. He just can't move very well. He he needs to be a game manager. Uh, he was taking care of the ball. Great. Five straight games without a pick for the first time in his career, which is a crazy stat. And then he goes out and throws, two pretty bad ones and loses a fumble against the Bengals. I just think the ceiling is pretty low with him in there. We thought that there was a high floor for a while uh, and yet scoring 10 points with that only touchdown coming in junk time. uh, That doesn't exactly speak volumes about what this offense can be right now. Based on what we've seen so far um, and what the conversations were last off season, what do you anticipate the moves would be this off season in terms of changing the way that this roster is constructed. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest one, you know, it's, it's Ben's last year under contract. He's going to be 40 next season. I, you know, I've been covering the team for three years, but I grew up here. I don't think anybody for a long time expected him to be a a Drew Brees or Tom Brady type playing into his forties with how many hits he's taken over the years, just his general style as a quarterback. And uh, I, you know, conventional wisdom around here is that this is indeed Ben's last year, no matter how it finishes, whether he, goes out in a blaze of glory somehow at the end or if uh, or if things get worse before they get better. So uh, that's going to be a humongous change for a Steelers organization that hasn't had to worry truly about that position for 18 years. There's been 
plenty of seasons, plenty of drafts where they've you know taken a backup. Mason Rudolph a few years ago even potentially could have been the heir apparent. Uh, that ship might have sailed, and uh, I'll just be very curious to see uh, how they build not just the offense minus Ben, but really this entire roster is is doom and gloom as people are right now here in Pittsburgh. Uh, how soon we forget, you know, you've got guys like Cam Hayward and TJ Watt. Minka Fitzpatrick hasn't been having as good of a season this year, but they're still on this roster. That's still a very good core that you got to feel good about building around, and uh, maybe it'll be more of a retooling than a rebuilding. Uh, not easy to do uh, on the fly, especially when you have so much uncertainty at quarterback. But uh, that's that's why the Steelers value stability, because I do think that Mike Tomlin is going to be the man overseeing that. And uh, even if it's not general manager Kevin Colbert next year, his contract runs through the draft. So he would want to leave this franchise in a good place. Well, those defensive guys that you just mentioned, very impressive names, have not all been available for this defense uh, in every game this season. Do you think Ben is on the same page? Does is is Ben also giving off vibes that like he knows that this is the last year? Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the big kind of one of the big lasts of this season was him going into Cleveland a few weeks ago on Halloween, playing a team that he tortured for almost two decades and leaving that place with a win in a game that I don't think a lot of people expected the Steelers to win and I don't know, just watching him from the press box walk off the field. It seemed like he was really soaking in that moment. Obviously, didn't get a similar feeling leaving Paul Brown Stadium the other day. Um, you know, that that was uh, that was rough for him in, in an, another Ohio City where uh, he, he always pretty much uh, drove a stake into their hearts every time he went there. But yeah, he hasn't come out and said it. He's not doing a farewell tour or anything like that. But um, I, I just think, you know, with this being the last year on his deal, it was a very wishy-washy offseason in terms of will he or won't he want to stay? Will they or won't they want to keep him around? Eventually, he he takes less money this year to lessen his salary cap hit and uh, allow them a, a little bit of extra flexibility. But I think all signs are, are pointing to, yeah, him him being ready to leave. And if, even if he weren't on the same page, I don't know that he is going to have that choice again, realistically. Right. I was surprised he had the choice last year. Frankly, I thought that it was pretty clear that they should have moved on and just started with the uh, rebuild feels like a very strong word, but I guess maybe at least you're resetting the offense, obviously. Yeah. It felt like we were already there. Let's go ahead and get some reps. Let's move closer to getting to be the team that we want to be, you know, hindsight 2020. But at this point, it's looking like that might've been a good move because it doesn't look like they're going anywhere this year. Kind of a double-edged sword though, because like, what does a move like that signal to your Cam Haywards and your TJ Watts guys who want to win now and think that they are able to win now, you know what I mean? And that's why there's, you know, some school of thought around here that, yeah, well, maybe it's obvious on paper to just go out there and use your first round pick on a quarterback. Will Mike Tomlin try to go the veteran route, either free agency or trade? Uh, we know how crazy the, the quarterback carousel was uh, last offseason. Could the Steelers uh, maybe find a way into that, even though that that hasn't been their way. They preferred to build through the draft at most positions. Well, weirdly, this is actually shaping up to be a worse year in terms of quarterback options. It feels like there were a lot more options last year It, it in terms of like guys coming out in the draft and maybe people being available through free agency players. Yeah. This year, it's not looking like there are a whole bunch of options. And then, of course, we just talked to Matt Chatham, uh, from the Patriots, and they have a rookie quarterback who 
they're in the playoff race. They're in that conversation. So I'm sure there are Steelers fans that are like, we could have done something like that. Um, I don't know if you could have gotten a Mac Jones and also the offensive line help because the O-line also is a little bit of this, you know, issue and conversation. It's not just all completely Ben Roethlisberger. They went and they got some other pieces that have certainly been helpful. I mean, Najee Harris, anybody who plays fantasy football knows that Najee Harris has been a slam dunk. Although, as we saw on Sunday, not a game changer, right? Yeah, and and he needs a lot around him to go right. I mean, you, you've got to have a passing game that keeps defenses honest, and you need an offensive line that, that can you know actually create some holes. That was a big problem for them last year, too. I mean, James Conner, a lot of people had written him off around here as – and me included, you know, I'll, I'll say a mea culpa here. I thought James Conner was was basically done, and uh, now he's been reinvigorated out there in, in Arizona. I think a lot of it is probably scheme and, and what they have around him to allow him to succeed. And I think Najee Harris is still probably a better runner, at least at this point. But, yeah, this Steelers offensive line, Lindsay, has been uh, – it's been tough sledding for them, both in run blocking and pass protection. Every time they take one step forward – seems like they take two steps back. And uh, that's kind of what we expected. Uh, they, they were all unproven, inexperienced guys. None of them had ever played together until this year. You know, the James Conner thing's interesting, though, because, yes, on the surface, it looks like Arizona's offense. It's just more polished. It's got a lot there. But then there have also been a number of games. Like, I think it's we're at three in a row now where no Kyler Murray, no DeAndre Hopkins no Chase Edmonds. And so he's still having that success with guys on the field at the wide receiver position, not necessarily drawing defensive attention, you know, in that are like Christian Kirk and AJ Brown and uh, Rondell Moore, who they're not even using. And then, you know, you've got a backup quarterback in there too. So there are a lot of, it's, it's hard to know what the right thing is to do. Right. Yeah. I think it's their O line, right? I mean, the Cardinals O line has to be an upgrade over a Steelers group that, you know, not, you know, two rookies starting at probably your two most important positions, left tackle and center. Both of them were third and fourth rounders. The other guys on that line, for the most part, are a third, a fourth, and a, another, you know, a veteran addition in Trey Turner. He's the only guy with any kind of NFL resume. So not shocking that that, that unit is struggling. So, um, you know, they, they are going to have to kind of come to that decision next year of how exactly do we want to construct this thing? Do we want to try to get quarterback in place and then we'll fill around him or is that not really a great environment to bring a rookie quarterback into when you still have all these question marks so Najee Harris uh, we can all agree he's going to be part of the the future he's here a year early what do you do next do you just go out there and invest heavily into the O-line and figure it out Um, I I think that seems to be a smart approach for a lot (laughs) I think I think it would have been last year I think they kind of did it in reverse but now that they did do it in reverse, you have your running back. You've got Pat Firemuth, who looks like a great tight end, right? Like you have your wide receivers. You have all of the playmakers. So now you just need to get an offensive line way easier said than done. And then also a quarterback, again, way easier said than done. So you're picking like maybe two of the hardest position groups to fill out successfully. And if you can do that and make that a priority this offseason, I think things change pretty dramatically. Looking at the rest of this season, the schedule down the stretch is not easy. There's still a chance, right, for the Steelers mathematically to do something here. They've got the Ravens up this week and then the Vikings and then the Titans and the Chiefs and the Browns and the Ravens. Oy. 
No rest for the weary. They good thing they made hay against your lions and your your bears and no tigers. But uh, you know they they took care of the Seahawks too, barely in overtime. So I was kind of cautioning to some fans. Yeah, you can say a win is a win at the end of the day. That's all well and good, but um, you know you you actually didn't really take care of the lions considering you tied them. So uh, at least they were able to get back on track against some lesser opponents, and maybe the Browns even fall into that category now. But yeah, it's not going to be easy for them down the stretch. Although hey. The NFL, as we all know, parity is is off the charts this year. Every team has problems. Um, you know, we'll see if uh, if Mike Tomlin can can get them on track enough to grind out some wins that most people wouldn't expect. Who who name me a player that people in Pittsburgh there are excited about right now? Yeah, I mean the the rookies, and that's the thing. You know, we're having the de- the debate about what you do uh, draft wise to build your O line, and there's still going to be people who say, hey. Should have gone O-line first, second, maybe even third round. But a lot of people are very, very excited about Najee Harris and, and Pat Fryermuth being added to the long-term core. It always looks better when you're winning, when you're producing. But uh, even now, I think we can acknowledge that those two are you know, rising stars. They're going to be a part of this for years to come. Um, doesn't look as good when you don't have people around them to, to help them out. But uh, th- those have been two bright spots in this season. No doubt about it. And then defensively, I mean, he's an older guy, but Cam Hayward's just so underrated nationally. Uh, if you look at like the pro football focus stuff, he's arguably the, the first or second best player in the league this year. He, he doesn't get a ton of sacks because he plays interior line, but uh, he's just giving it his all every single game, facing a lot of double and, and triple teams. And after the Aaron Donald God tier of D, D tackles, uh, Cam Hayward is, is right there in that next group. So he does not want music at practice. No, yeah, that, that's the, uh, the the latest uh, mini controversy here with with the Steelers. Uh, Chase Claypool, second year guy, he's, he's he's thoughtful, but he's also fine with speaking his mind. And kind of off the cuff, said Monday that maybe practice uh, would be a little bit more fun with some music, like they had in in college. And most college teams do have it. Uh, Mike Tomlin also shut that down today, right before I jumped on <laughs> with you, saying that uh, did you did you hear this one yet, Lindsay? Did no. You see quote? Yeah, he was asked about it at the end of his presser. He said. Uh, and, and you mentioned at the beginning, his his way of uh, turning a phrase is second to none in this league. He said, Chase Claypool's job is to play wide out. Mine is to formulate a practice plan. And I think that division of labor is appropriate. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, at, at least we now got the USC coaching situation settled. And yes, you know, yes. And so uh, he's you know, off he the hook from down, answering those questions. Got it down definitively. And boy, at the time, we certainly didn't know uh, how uh, crazy that all that whole thing was was going to become. Uh, as we saw later, Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley were not quite as authoritative in their denials. And uh, now we know why. Brian, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Anytime. See you, Lindsay. Thanks to both my guests today, Brian and Matt Chatham. The former can be found on Twitter at Brian Batko, B-A-T-K-O. And you can find links to his work there for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And you can find Matt at Chatham58. And again, as always, very much appreciate their time. Very much appreciate your time also. I'm extremely grateful for those of you who download this podcast regularly and listen. And for those of you who might be listening for the first time, I hope that you enjoyed it and you'll come back. Um, If you did enjoy it and you want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL Roadshow is also available on the SXM app, which is free for most subscribers. You just download the app. 
tap podcasts up will come. For video clips of the show and more, follow me on Twitter, Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm also on Instagram at Lindsay Rhodes NFL. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. And a special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. We will be back here on Friday with a look ahead at the weekend from a fantasy perspective. And I hope that you'll join us for that. Serious XM Podcasts.